I recently asked a bookseller friend to name her favourite young Australian novelists. One of the first names she suggested was Christos Cholkas. Now, I love Christos and his books, but the man is in his late 50s. I kind of blame Loaded, his 1995 debut. It was a sensation at the time. Everyone read it. It was all sex and drugs and youthful combative energy. They made a film of it with a young Alex Dimitriadis in the lead. So, even though he's written eight novels since, stories about religion and about class, about our national obsession with winning, even though The Slap was this major cultural phenomenon selling more than a million copies worldwide, even though he is the literary establishment by any measure you can think of, Christos Cholkas has never entirely shaken off his reputation as the angry young man of Australian literature. In person, Cholkas is anything but. He's a hugger. In conversation, he's interested in people. He's curious and thoughtful with this big bark of a laugh. And across his career, he's constantly evolved, continuing to push himself and his readers to not look away from the uncomfortable parts of human experience. From Schwartz Media, I'm Michael Williams with Read This. A couple of months out from a new novel, we ask how becoming part of the literary establishment has changed Christos Cholkas. When you start your career as the voice of youth, as a challenging outsider, how does that shape the next almost three decades of a writing life? Tell me who you were at 29 when Loaded came out. I do think I was curious, like that has been a constant. I think I was trying to prove to myself that I could be a writer and constantly struggling with the notion of whether I had the ability, <laughs> I had the talent, you know, th- th- those things to be, be a writer. I think I, I had that alongside, when I look back on it, a phenomenal confidence. Mm. Uh, confidence is not the right word, actually, because it wasn't like I, f- I, I felt that I knew it all or that I so trusted my abilities that I, um, I could run roughshod across kind of critical opinion. But I had a drive. That's what it is. Like, and, and I think one of the things that I would not have said to myself as a young man in my late 20s, because I would have been suspicious of the word, but it, in reflection now, I think I must have, and there has been ambition, yeah. you know, that I was going to do this. And I was searching for a sense of myself in the world. I talk about this with so many of the young people in my life now, that that process of coming out also, of course, in terms of being queer, but also just that coming out that we all do, regardless of where our sexuality is, about kind of saying, who are we in this world? What are we going to be in this world? I was someone who was still trying to work out a relationship with my family that was going to be strong enough to deal with a lot of conflicts around my sexuality, my choices, uh, including the choice of the kind of vocation I I wanted to pursue. Uh, And I don't think I found a wisdom about how to do that until much, much later. (laughs) But you were also having to do that, that kind of coming out process through the prism of other people's perceptions of you as well. Like the public figure, Christos Cholkas, the author, was partly the answers you were giving and partly what was being imposed on you. You know, looking at some of those early reviews of Loaded, the conflation of Ari 
your protagonist yes. with you. Now, Ari's 19, you were 29 at the time, you were clearly writing a character, but because the things that were preoccupying him around sexuality, around class, around you know the, who he was, his relationship with his family, all of that stuff uh, was overlaid over your life. And the temptation that always happens with a debut novel, oh, it has to be heavily autobiographical. There is an element of truth to the fact that if your first novel is going to have a rawness that comes from not knowing if you're ever going to do this again. So yes, everything I was thinking, everything I was experiencing, everything that I was feeling I wanted to put into that novel. And also, you know, I was learning my craft as I as I was doing it. I didn't do creative writing. I don't think they even exist that those courses really existed back then. But yes, I was a decade older than Ari. I'd already started dealing with my drug addiction, for example. Mm. So that's probably an armor. You know, the, the weird thing of having a novel like Loaded, which in its small world was a success, right, was that suddenly you become a public figure. And no one prepares you for that, I think. Um, you, that's, again, you, you kind of learn how to deal with that in the process of dealing with it. But I did have a sense of there have been battles to do with family, to do with addiction that I've been through, and that creates a, a particular... Um, strength, I think. And I had Wayne mm. in my corner. So this is a, you know, as someone who I love and who loves me and comes from a similar um, background as a child of migrants, from a working class background. All of, all of that was, that, that was the strongest shield I had in relationship to, to being in the world. Yeah. And kind of, you know, he's also, he's, he's a, a straight talker. So, you know, he was very very good in his loving and gentle way of going, don't buy into the bullshit. After Loaded, Christos became the poster child for grunge in Australia, and a whole lot of imitators followed him. But instead of sticking to that path, he went even further. His follow-up, The Jesus Man, was about psychosis, child abuse, castration and suicide. It was a lot, and it was a commercial failure. Critics and readers didn't know what to make of it. I actually do feel, um, and I can say this now at 57, you know, kind of, actually I do feel a pride that I, I was trying to do something with that novel that was, for me, not wishing to repeat Loaded, to do Loaded 2, you know, kind of uh, wanting to explore what it meant to write fiction and to do it in a much more ambitious way. I mean, it's an ambitious novel, The, the Jesus Man. But I think the other thing that I didn't take into account is that when you are writing about really difficult subjects, and there are really difficult subjects at play in The Jesus Man, when you're writing in ways that are uh, explicit, um, trying to challenge how we write about sexuality, how we write about how does sexuality and racism work, how does sexuality and class work, that there is a public scrutiny that I'm absolutely fine with because that's what you do as a writer, right? But it also has an influence on how people you love in your family or your network are going to be hearing about somebody called Christos Cholkis. And I don't think I was, because I was lucky with Loaded being kind of a success, it kind of, it was like people didn't concentrate on the, the sex in the beats or the, the, the language because there's something in our culture that um, venerates success. 
And I think that was the hard step. God, I'm being really intimate about this, mm. but this is, I think that, you know, maybe it is again a question of only with time that you realise these things, that I didn't know how to protect the people I loved from that scrutiny. I'm interested in how important early in your writing career feeling like an outsider voice was to making it legitimate. I think to say I'm an outsider is is a little bit... Uh, risible at, at this moment in that because I am very much in the literary world that is Australia. Having said that, what it means to be outside remains fundamentally important to me. And that come, you know, in terms of uh, both what I do, but also where I look for inspiration. You know, going back to Loaded and reading it for the first time in decades, like really reading it, and, you know, there's the cringe of going, why did I use this word? Why, you know... Uh, but I reminded myself of the influences that were there in my life and how important they were. And one of them was having had the fortune through my teacher at high school, uh, Mr. Javier, to be t- introduced to Dostoevsky, to mm. be introduced to the existential novel. And that, you know, realising that that's, that's actually, that's been an influence and remains an influence on me. Last year, I reread all of Dostoevsky. I think I may have talked to you about this, and that was elating to be reminded of, of a writer that I absolutely adore, and a gauntlet, like kind yeah. of you know, you, you, you read you read his work, and then you go, yeah, I've got to be better. <laughs> I mean, not to be him, but to you know, at my age, I'm giving myself the space, and I didn't have this as a um, a man in my late twenties to rest into my life, into my relationship, to not feel like I, you know, fear of missing out. I don't really have that anymore. I don't really care about that more. But when it comes to my work, I want to keep restless. Does that make sense? Oh, no, it absolutely does. That restless energy, I think, is part of what I'm so keen to talk to you about today because I think it's there in all your work is that you're clearly exhilarated by discomfort for yourself, like to challenge yourself to not not kind of retread, to kind of find the edges of what you've done and, and, and work to those. Before we leave Dostoevsky, though, I'm just interested, you know, I, he strikes me as a writer who very much understands the novel as a moral project. And I'm interested in both in your late 20s, but now that relationship between morality and and the novel. When I look back at every book I've written, the question of how to be good in the world is pivotal. It's there in the, in the new book that I've written too, like kind of uh, whether that's to be good in a general sense or how to be good in a relationship, how to be good in love, uh, which is what the new novel's about. Uh, so, yes, for me, I very much acknowledge that I am in that tradition. The thing that always strikes me for writers is that not only are you writing into a tradition, but with each new book, you're writing into your own tradition, Mm. if you like. You're writing into where this fits in your, for lack of a less pretentious word that I'm going to mispronounce, oeuvre. Yeah. Uh, You know, like there is that for you, I suspect, you know, the slap was a real inflection point of suddenly, uh, not just in terms of sales, but in terms of the kind of ubiquity of that book in the culture. Um, there was a moment where 
your relationship with your readers, I think, changed fundamentally, or perhaps your idea of who your readers were. What effect did that have on you creatively? The Slap was the first novel where I didn't... There was a period where I didn't know what I was going to write next, and I think that is not a surprise. Undoubtedly, I had a notion of selling out (laughs) that even... Uh, using that phrase now feels a little bit old-fashioned, right? Uh, but yes, that... And also because of... I had the love of the great novel, but also, you know, the excitement I had as a young kid, you know, first reading someone like Jean Genet or John Reshi, the Mexican-American writer, kind of the radical queer work that took on being an outsider as... Well, to talk about morality or, or the moral uh, nature of what we do that that was what you did, you know, that you did not, um, you did not hide from that. You didn't, you know, you, you, you weren't chasing mainstream success. You were, you were wanting to do something that was experimental or different. I, I mean, I, I think it took me a long time to realise I'm not that kind of writer, <laughs> okay? That that's, that, that actually uh, really good experimental writing is freaking hard really, really hard to do. While he may have realised that more experimental forms were not for him, Christos remained determined to push boundaries with what he wrote about. Even when he became a staple of book clubs and high school reading lists, he never stopped writing about sex and bodies in all their grossness and glory. That's after the break. Did you know you can support the artists you love and receive a tax deduction for donations over $2 through the Australian Cultural Fund? Last year, the Australian Cultural Fund facilitated over $11 million of donations to artists across the country. You can make a real difference to the work of Australian artists this end of financial year by donating through the Australian Cultural Fund. For more information, visit australianculturalfund.org.au. As a a. 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. You have this ability to describe the body and to describe people in a state, in a non-sexual context, in a state of fatigue, in a state of kind of grief or just being present that is erotically charged, that that bodies that bodies <laughs> should be written about lovingly. You know, it yes. doesn't matter if you're sagging and you're sitting and you're like not feeling your best self. You write about, and there are scenes of this, I think, in all your books of just your willingness to write about the corporeal, like the physical, is it's incredibly loving the way it comes across on the page. I find bodies endlessly fascinating and it's not like I, I have a, a strict vision of what the body should be. And we are, we are constantly in the body, right? That's, uh, I mean, it is one thing I do say to, you know, when I, a few times that I do take writing classes or speak is use your all your senses yeah and that you know uh, and that smell and that's touch and that's you know it is that is how we are in the world but I actually think you're not allowing yourself the ability to write in the best 
range that the English language has there to offer you if you if you resist the sensual. I think that there is something about our relationship to not Britain but England in particular that has been so dominant for a long, long time in post-colonial Australian culture that exists really firmly in particular amongst the, the bourgeois class, if you like. And with changes that are happening, that literature and the arts are still dominated by that class, right? I'm not romanticising uh, some kind of uh, Greek sensual world that, that I also have access to. But I do think the love of the body that you were referring to, that, that that's in my work, it comes from, in part, having you know, a foot in that world as well, you know. And that's where I feel really, really fortunate. I've got this Greek heritage. I was going to say, yeah. that, that you, you assert your Greekness nowhere more than the, uh, the erotic, the physical, the, like, because the Anglo tradition of Australia is just not equal to it. No, and, it's, and, and I, I, that to me is the change that I really hope will happen over the next couple of decades, that, that as different kind of voices are heard and find expression, that we will... We will lose that fear and that terror of the erotic. Like the reality is one of the most dynamically complex aspects of being human is our relationship to sex and to desire and to fantasy. And, and it can be the locus of the most beautiful exchanges you can have with another person, with a person, you, you know, whether you love them or it's just an encounter that happens in 10 minutes that will never leave your imagination. And it can be the source of some of the greatest suffering and, and terror. All right, so, but that is part of the human experience. And to be fearful of looking at it to me is, I just, I've never understood it. As he has aged, the sex of Loaded or the Jesus Man or even the Slap has been replaced with something less brash, more circumspect and complex. Christos's most recent book, Seven and a Half, is a book of autofiction. His main character wrestles with questions of sex, but also with what he's allowed to write about. With Seven and a Half, it was very clearly I was wanting to defend the burgeoning erotic experiences I had as a young person that were, that were, um, you know, it's the language of the novel, so I'm going to use it, that were transcendental for me. Mm. And now there's a, a book within the book of Seven and a Half, which I think is my saying there is something about the pornographic and there's something about sex that can also be violent and destructive and hurtful. And you can't be a writer in 2023 without being conscious of the history of sexual violence. So I'm holding all those things in my head, but then I am just writing the, what I want to write, and what I want to write is about the pleasure that I feel in the world. Has doubt always been part of your creativity? There is always that personal experience of doubt, which is about your work and your craft and your ability. So you, you wrestle with that all the time, um, and I've wrestled with, with that for a long time. The receiving of uh, negative critical responses can be really harsh. In fact, it does roll off your back. You know, that's what that's what you you learn. I think the more you practice your craft. Do you think that's an age based change? Yeah, certainly. It's a it's it's got to do with age. It must have and feeling. Um, yeah, that I am at a point in my life where I just don't have 
you know, physically and in terms of experiences, I can't swim as strongly <laughs> in the in you know in 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 the in the current, if you like, of present culture. But I'm still curious. I'll say about the new book, The In Between, that there was a choice that I made to write about sex in every chapter. It's a book in five chapters. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to deliberately choose to write about sex because that's been important to me as a writer all my writing life. And it's been important to me as a reader all my reading life. What are you proud of and excited by with this new book? I think that I'm most excited in that I'm writing about love. But I don't think I've ever quite in this way written a book that is about a love story. You know, I don't think it's a sentimental love story, but, you know, it is a love story. And so that feels exciting and a little bit deliciously naughty in these times. And the other thing, and goes to some of the things that have been maybe kind of uh, subterranean in our conversation, it's also about two men who meet in their 50s who don't actually share all the same opinions and... This is where I'm kind of excited and a little bit nervous is how people are going to respond to that, mm. you know, because that, that, you know, about how love can build across those differences, that we don't all have to think the same. Um, and I would be really, I'm really, I'm really kind of hungry for where that discussion will go. Christos Chalkas's new book, The In-Between, will be out this October. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, The Saturday Paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday Paper. No hot takes. Before we go, I wanted to let you know what I've been reading this week. Like many people, I became briefly obsessed with Shit's Creek at some point during the COVID lockdowns. Just the right balance of barbed mean humour and syrupy sentimentality for me. One of its writers, Monica Heisey, has brought out her first novel. It's about a painful divorce. It's called Really Good Actually, and it's very funny. And I wanted to shout out what I think is possibly the best Australian book of last year. When we were chatting to Christos for this week's episode, and to Helen Garner for episode one, both of them singled this book out for praise. It's called Childhood. It's a memoir by Melbourne writer Shannon Burns. I loved it. It's about class and poverty and growing up, and I can't recommend it enough. Nor can Helen and Christos, if that tips you over the edge. You can find these books and all the others we mentioned at your favourite independent bookstore. Or, if you want to listen to them as audiobooks, you can head to the Read This reading room on Apple Books at apple.co slash read this there's a link in our show notes that's it for this week's show if you enjoyed it please tell your friends about it and rate and review us i look at it obsessively read this is produced by clara ames and edited by sarah mcvee original compositions are by zoltan fecho and the mixing is by travis evans thanks for listening see you next week